0: It's been a while since we've done this. Uh, Welcome to episode 58 versus media live. I'm aged. It was zero hour today for about half of Twitter's workforce. Um, I was going to try to get Lee Fong on and he agreed, but uh, we just couldn't make it work. And he will uh, come on probably in a couple of weeks. He's traveling. But uh, I did want him to come on and talk about his Intercept Report, which was the topic of my podcast today because I just I hadn't gotten around to it with just all the stuff happening. But essentially, and I linked to it, and if you haven't read it, you need to go read it. Um, it's one of the most important stories of the year, and it feeds directly into some of what we're seeing over at Twitter with some of the former employees and changes that are already happening and coming. And uh, as I noted this week with the whole Paul Pelosi stuff being cited as conspiracies, and uh, we had another fun incident with that today, and then, of course, with must and Twitter, and then also how that plays into what Twitter had become, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen to that app. I've not really invested too much into thinking about any of that, Um. But I don't think it's an understatement to suggest that Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter at least saved free speech on that app. And what you're seeing, a lot of the reaction, especially from corporate journalists, um, who are the same people who kind of ignored the Intercepts report, uh, you're seeing them talk about election integrity and all of these topics, and, and ultimately all it boils down to is these journalists lost their sources and contacts inside that building. And with it, they lost the ability to influence and shape narratives in their favor, which pretty much ever since the election of Donald Trump, we had been, we'd seen happen. Twitter became a tool for pretty much corporations and corporate journalists and not anyone else, really. And the world has been turned completely upside down on their heads and they don't really know it. The reason this is so important and why this ties into The Intercept's report is uh, to just kind of shorthand it. Uh, The Intercept learned and then they reported that Biden's Department of Homeland Security was essentially coordinating with Twitter to expand and create uh, more of this disinformation board, which we heard about, and of course, with Nina Jankowicz, and the point person in all of this was Vijaya Gadd. Vijaya Gadd was part of Twitter's leadership team. She was the head of Twitter's trust and safety, and she was one of the first ones out the door, and it couldn't have uh, happened fast enough. And so you had Vijaya Gad coordinating with the Department of Homeland Security on which accounts needed to be flagged. Twitter and Vijaya Gad were essentially taking uh, their orders from biden's dhs when a social media platform's job should be when uh cisa comes calling the cisa cyber infrastructure security agency comes calling you as a social media and a company in my opinion's job is to tell them to go get bent unless you have credible information that is a legitimate threat to the united states well we know that the Biden administration is trying to classify misinformation as a terrorist threat. That was part of what was in the Intercept report. I want to read a small part of this. I read a good part of this on the podcast today, and just in the interest of time, I don't want to read too much of it. But during the, this is directly from the Intercept. During the 2020 election, the Department of Homeland Security, in an email to an official at Twitter, forwarded information about a potential threat to critical U.S. infrastructure, citing FBI warnings in this case about an account that could imperil election system integrity. Sounds serious, right? The Twitter user in question had 56 followers along with a bio that read, DM DM us your weed store locations, hoes be mad, but this is a parody account. Under a banner image of Blucifer, the 32 foot tall demonic horse sculpture featured at the entrance of the Denver International Airport. If you've ever seen it, it's it's a fucking wild sculpture. Quote, We're not, we are not sure if any action can be taken, but we wanted to flag them for consideration, wrote a state official on an email thread forwarding on other examples of accounts that could be confused with official government entities. The Twitter representative responded, quote, we will escalate, thank you. Each email in the chain carried a disclaim, disclaimer that the agency quote neither has nor seeks the ability to remove or edit what information is made available on social media platforms. Of course, it's implied, and Twitter was coordinating with the Biden White House, and, and as well as we, they said on topics of the withdrawal in Afghanistan, social justice, COVID nineteen. And several other domestic policy issues, and this was always the problem. Twitter was taking a side on U.S. policy issues, and they were boosting some accounts that they found favorable, and some which just were at the White House uh, two weeks ago, and others. Um, I had noted on the podcast, uh, Will Chamberlain kind of called some of these accounts some of these people who were laid off. And some of these groups, the curation team was all dismissed. And if uh, you're familiar with the curation team, uh, the curation team is who put together those little blurbs on the side, on the sidebar of Twitter, which provided context. And it was only the context that they believed. And if you went through and you read some of these things, um, it was clearly biased context on some topics that were either politically charged or what have you. Well, those are gone now. That whole team has been fired. Uh, the other team that has been fired was the ethics, transparency, and accountability team. And my question is, is whose ethics was, uh, whose ethics in all of this were fired? So I want to focus in on, and there's a guy named Richie Asaley who is uh, part of the Toronto, digital producer for the Toronto Star, pronouns he, him. Said, looks like Elon Musk fired the entire curation team. These were folks who tackled misinformation, contextualized conversations, ooh, that's important, via the Explore page and helped make Twitter an unmatched source for breaking news. This will make Twitter noisier, more dangerous, and less interesting. Right before the elections, too, and I'll get into that in a second. Um. Who wants to tell the curation team that we're perfectly capable of having our own conversations? And this is always the problem, is they always put their thumb on the scale in one direction, and anyone with a pulse who's part of Twitter has seen this happen in the last four to five years. And he you know, has a good thread about uh, some of the reactions when Musk bought Twitter back in April or when he was looking to angle to buy Twitter. And some of these people who were laid off, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but you really should go and read them. And you see the attitudes that were happening with this announcement for no real other reason other than they were simply ready to lose their toy. The one person I want to focus on is uh, someone named Joan Diekman or Diechman. She was uh, formerly in charge former senior engineer manager at Twitter. She was the manager of the ethics, transparency and accountability team. And she tweeted today that, yep, the team is gone. The team that was researching and pushing for algorithmic transparency and algorithmic choice, the team that was studying algorithmic amplification, the team that was inventing and building ethical AI tooling and methodologies, all of that is gone. Well, I'd like to know who's ethics. She's talking about because if you would go to her Twitter feed, it's pretty obvious how Twitter became what it had become over the last six years, which is basically an activist tool for the progressive left while suppressing uh, accounts that they found unfavorable. On her account, she stated uh, she could not believe that a uh, illegitimate Supreme Court justice was about to rule over uh, women's bodies. Well, that sounds pretty biased. Uh, she also has the equity meme up there, the famous one with the three people over uh, looking over the fence. She had several retweets of Ion Omar. She had several retweets of Eric Swalwell. She also, uh, in the exchange between Holly and this trans activist uh, earlier this year where Holly just basically was questioning biological <laughs> chromosomes... She retweeted uh, low rent Aaron Rupar's tweet about saying, I want to recognize that your line of questioning is being transphobic. She also retweeted Ahmed Ali on, You can never ban abortion. You can only ban safe abortions. Read that again. She also retweeted several times Jojo from JURS, who is uh, an influencer on Twitter who, if you notice, his engagements have suddenly collapsed. Um, She's retweeted George Takai. And these are all in just a manner of weeks and days. So you have someone who is clearly, clearly politically active and possibly using these politics to influence Twitter's own algorithm about who can be seen and who cannot be seen. Uh, As you've seen reports of people in the last week whose engagements have risen or whose follower accounts have risen, I'm certainly one of those accounts. And that's not something that so much concerns me. What concerns me is for instance, as someone with a high following account, was my name ever turned over to the DHS or was DHS ever uh, in contact with high people on either the political right or just people they found unfavorable? And this is to me why you're seeing the the absolute meltdown of one corporate journalist. One of the things I wanted to ask Lee Fong, and I probably still will, is... This was a pretty big bombshell report, and the most reaction he got out of it from progressive journalists was that he went on Tucker Carlson. And I asked the question, why wasn't he on CNN or MSNBC? Why did he not get invites to talk about this? And it's large in part because if you look at CNN's contributor apparatus and if you look at MSNBC's contributor apparatus, you have lots of former defense guys and gals who were either law enforcement, FBI, CIA, or contractors. And they're all embedded into corporate media. And this is a point that Glenn Greenwald has been making over and over again. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask him, and I still will, is what's it like when your colleagues just ignore this report because they're more concerned with their contacts at places like Twitter or Facebook or Meta? And a good example is uh, Semaphore, Ben Smith's new outlet, which is kind of doing some interesting things, is holding a forum similar to the Atlantic's disinformation forum and it's being sponsored by Meta. And this is kind of the big, this is to me is the whole situation, which is you have corporate media in bed with big tech and big tech taking their orders from the Department of Homeland Security under the guise of misinformation and disinformation. And the problem is, as we know, that accurate reporting gets swept up in this, as we saw with the New York Post story. We still have zero account at Twitter who uh, froze that and who at the direction of, did Twitter freeze that? Was it intelligence? Was it the DHS? Was it the CIA? Was it the FBI? Was it other journalists? Which is actually my bet is that other journalists saw the story drop. They got in Vijayagad's WhatsApp and told her to halt the story. And they did citing disinformation as it turns out. Uh, it was not disinformation. It was accurate information. And Twitter, still in my mind, needs to account for this, and my hope, my only hope for what Musk does with Twitter is I don't really care about much. I do care about transparency, and I think Musk has to be transparent with how that incident happened and and assure that it will never happen again. Musk has tweeted that nothing, no accurate information will ever be censored on Twitter, and he basically says either way. So one of the reasons you're seeing reporters like Ben Collins at NBC having an absolute apoplectic hissy fit is he's lose, he's lost his contacts at Twitter, and they have also lost their ability to influence and shape what we've been seeing on Twitter. And if you've been paying attention for the last six years and how they blamed Hillary Clinton's loss on disinformation campaigns, you're starting to see what they're laying the groundwork for for the midterms. Washington Post today, Twitter layoffs gutted the election information team's Days before the midterms with half of the company gone political campaigns are gripped with it, excuse me gripped with anxiety over how to address election misinformation and potential threats. Here's a Verge technology blog. Elon Musk's mass Twitter layoff today has left a whole areas of the company completely gutted, including teams tasked with defending the platform from manipulation ahead of the midterms. Anyone with a pair of eyes sees what they're trying to do here, which is essentially When the Democratic Party loses and loses very badly on Tuesday, they're going to do something that they did just like they did in the 2016 election was they blamed fake news on Facebook, which turned out to be about a grand total of $1,300 of ads from a Russian bot farm. And somehow that's what kept Hillary Clinton out of the state of Wisconsin for exactly 104 days during the general election. And you're starting to see them do the same. Uh, you're going to see stories the days after the midterms that are going to say on the night of the election or right of the election, th- these accounts were boosted or whatever, 10 times, et cetera, et cetera. It's as clear as day what they're trying to do. When in actuality, about 4% of the country is even on Twitter. And this is actually the problem I think Musk faces is how do you grow the platform from its current user base? Everything aside, politics aside, everything aside, how do you grow a product that has already so many connotations attached to it. It's not like he launched a new platform. He's dealing with everything that comes with uh, the history of Twitter and what it is and what it has been. And so these are all things, but again, if you want to know why you're seeing the reaction, it all ties into what the intercept uh, wrote about and what Lee Fong wrote about, which is you're also seeing a call for Treasury to investigate Musk's purchase of it. And you're also, somebody floated today in Techter that the Biden administration can halt the sale under national security grounds. And this is why I joke and I, I'm serious when I say that this administration is run by Twitter. Ron Klain is on it all the time. I haven't seen Ron Klain in four days. I had to be reminded that Kyle Griffin exists. And that's what they're actually upset about. They lost their favorite toy. And in doing so, they've now lost control of whatever narrative or whatever boosting that they can have on Twitter. Uh, Several of these influencers, people like Aaron Rupar, Rex Chapman, their engagements have collapsed. And it's because they were being artificially boosted by people that I noted uh, like Deachman and her team and I didn't do this for everyone, but t- there was a, a hashtag going around today called "one uh, one team" or whatever, and it was a hashtag of all former Twitter employees. And you could click on them, and they all change their avatars to something. And it wouldn't take long before you scroll down and you see them proactively promoting. For instance, one promoted Beto O'Rourke's secure or Act Blue donation, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with people using their Twitter accounts, even inside of Twitter but it's pretty certain we know that they were using their power at Twitter to uh, suppress certain accounts, certain certain narratives, certain pieces of information while boosting some of the worst characters on there. And that's what this is really all about. Um, that so much is not something I care about as much as I care about the fact that the Department of Homeland Security is probably gonna go to Elon Musk and say, hey, we need you to do this on disinformation. And Elon Musk is most likely gonna tell them to take a long walk off of Short Pier. And that's exactly what social media platforms should have been doing in the first place. And that's how we got here. So I would encourage you, again, to go read The Intercept's report. as Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fong. Um, and I'm just, I'm curious, again, why this, the, 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 the larger threat to all of this is not who wins an election on Tuesday. The larger threat to democracy is the collusion of big tech, under the influence of the Department of Homeland Security and the federal government taking orders from them on what content should be seen and elevated and what content should not be seen and elevated. And in turn, you have a corporate media who's willing to go along with this because they somehow right now agree with the current administration. And they're not once considering what happens if this kind of power falls into the hands of a a newly elected, again, Donald Trump. And so, Again, I encourage you to go read the Intercept report. Uh, So that's kind of the topic at hand. Uh, I saw a lot of, I I see a lot of people back there. We're going to just try to go for about an hour, a little over as normal. Uh, I want you kind of your thoughts on this topic, your thoughts on Elon Musk, what you've seen on Twitter. Um, There are, you know, people are saying not many changes. Uh, The the three things I will say that I've noticed are more crypto spam. (laughs) I like tons of crypto bots in my replies. I've noticed my... Followers spike. Uh, I was stuck at, and this is just for information. Who cares? But I was basically stuck at three seventy seven thousand for basically the last four to five months. In the last week that Musk has bought Twitter, I have now jumped ten thousand followers. I am now up to three hundred ninety one thousand. Take whatever you want for what that means, but I don't think I do think that this is related to all of these curation teams and all of these teams. Uh, meant to turn Twitter into basically an activist's uh, app and no one else is part of that. And then the other thing I've noticed, obviously, is the sidebar is back to just trends. It's not blurbs and news articles adding context in the way that only Nina Jankowicz and CNN reporters want it presented. And so just some thoughts to kind of get you guys started in what, you know, as I said, as I've seen and to help you understand exactly why you're seeing the freak out that you're seeing is they have had their favorite toy taken away and in doing so their ability to influence social media or what have you. And certainly uh, the Biden administration has lost their favorite tool. Uh, and if, if this gets more reporters less dependent on Twitter and if it gets the Biden administration less dependent on Twitter, and if Twitter ceases to become the kind of driving force in our media, that's a good thing. Twitter should basically go back to just being MySpace. So that's it, I already see I have a ton of callers. Uh, so for you new, for you new guys, just a couple of ground rules, just make sure you mute your microphone. If you're not speaking, uh, the button's just down there to the left. It just makes the published recording sound better. Uh, it helps keep me on point as well. And, um, it makes it just that much more enjoyable for the listener. Um, and then also just notice that if we have a big queue, I want to try to get through as many people as possible. Uh, like I said, we'll probably go for just about an hour, uh, tonight because we've done this a few times this week. And last night was kind of a heavy one, which I'm still certainly thinking about. And I hope a few of you are, too, as well. So just a couple of ground rules. Other than that, it's kind of a free-for-all. We'll have fun. I see a lot of you back there. Um, I will, if I see some newer people, probably bump you up in a head. But I already have one up here. So, Bruce, uh, give me your thoughts on some of the stuff you heard. If you've read the Intercept report, uh, what you think about what Twitter is, what it's become. Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? Uh, anything that's on your mind, go ahead. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, so um I, a lot of thoughts and maybe not specifically about the Intercept report, but this uh, whole uh Elon Musk, is he a hero, is he a villain? Uh you know, there's a there's a lot of different angles being thrown out there like hey, why did he just waste forty-four billion dollars on Twitter when he could have just, you know, done this or that with the, the blue check mark and and all that. I guess I look at it like he's, he's an eccentric weirdo that is gonna drive our society forward. He's like Nikolai Tesla or a Thomas Edison or people like that, that in retrospect, this whole Twitter thing will just be unimportant. And I think you've hit on it many times that, that just in general, what is it? It's 4% of the population and, and of that 4%, only like 3% of that is actually active and engaging. I think there's a lot of people like me on Twitter where I just, it's my news. Uh, I don't watch the nightly news. I don't I don't have a cable subscription. I, I don't have any, like if there's something interesting that I see on Twitter, I'm gonna go find videos. I might go turn on the TV if it's something big enough that it's gonna be on a normal over the air uh, wire. But, but I think there's a lot of people that use Twitter like that. And I've definitely seen over time, this whole idea of like uh, things getting pushed over over other things. I use Tweetbot, so I have I, I don't have the raw uh, Twitter app or Twitter website or whatever. Uh, but even with even using Tweetbot, there are uh, times where like you'll tweet something and it'll be part of a string of uh, uh, like a chain of tweets, and I'll only see one of them until I go in and actually look at the tweet and examine the stuff around it. I'm gonna step inside here with some high winds. <clears throat> I <don't> want. <clears throat> There'd be too much background noise, um, and so I have observed that, and and maybe that's going to go away now, and, and that's that's all fine. Um, I, I guess I'm this whole thing of the DHS and their their line to Twitter or whatever. I look at it as this like the, the problem is that government is too big. Like this, the idea that we even have a ho- Department of Homeland Security and it was designed after nine eleven to coordinate interagency. Uh, counterterrorism, things like that. That on paper it sounds great, but the the in practice, and you know, there's been discussions about do we bulldoze the FBI? Do we do this? Do we do that? How do we how do we handle all this? And these are these are problems that will need solutions at some point, and maybe some of them just work themselves out. But I think this is just a symptom. This isn't this isn't the problem. Um, I I think there's something there. I think there's there's a lot of different points of view. I think more stuff will come out, but. Uh, I guess I've wanted to try to get on one of your call-ins for several weeks now. And my thought is that I, I feel like we're in the running man. And I, I guess I'm dating myself a little bit on, on that. But for, for those of us in Gen X, that, that was, you know, one of the popular Schwarzenegger action movies of the 80s. And it was like that was how disinformation was used to sway public opinion. And you just saw kind of how it would unfold in the in the film and, and I feel like that if we didn't have uh, stops and, and stopgap measures and things like Twitter that, that can circumvent the mainstream media outlets and things like that, we would have the running man. We would have, you know, people that were pulling the levers of power, whether they'd be in big tech or uh, government or big tech aligned with government, whatever, they could dictate to us what we saw. What we believed, what we understood, and all that, with with no uh, with no checks or balances against that. And you know, even though we have a free press and we have this and we have that, that that can all be uh, circumvented so easily with technology. So I feel like we have, you know, we we would be on the verge of a running man situation uh, with with the misinformation. And yeah, it concerns me, and I, I, I hope things get better with the platform. And I, and I think after the midterms and this all kind of dies down that, you know, we'll be back to, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more normal engagement of what's going on with the news, what's going on with this platform, what's going on with the competing platforms and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, those are those are kind of my, my basic basic thoughts on all that.
0: I, I look at it and I say, for take Colin, for instance, while just while we're all hanging out here. Donald Trump was elected president. The media had to go and look for someone to blame other than Hillary Clinton and themselves, because self introspection is the worst thing that they're good at. And so, Robbie Mook and Teddy Goff, who were Hillary Clinton's campaign managers, said, "We're going to go after fake news on Facebook." And if you recall, ever since then, it was automatic. Instead of the press telling Hillary Clinton. Well, that's not why you lost, ma'am. You lost because you're a shitty campaigner and a horrible candidate. Instead, they basically fell in line and did exactly what they told the media to do, which was we're going to start looking at memes and Facebook disinformation and all of this. And that's what led to the whole Russia collusion stuff and the steel dossier and uh, the fake news and all of that stuff and, and <clears throat> it then morphed into disinformation and we saw this with Nina Jankowicz all of a sudden appointing herself you know disinformation czar and everyone was like where the hell did this come from and you, you look at a lot of what they mean by disinformation just turns out to be information they don't like Nina Jankowicz pushed the steel dossier She's now acting like a, an online influencer. She's Sandra Fluck with a higher octave. And if you look at an app like Colin, they, they, have, a funda- they have a fundamental misunderstanding of what social media is. Social media is not – they want to treat social media and Twitter like it's a newspaper. Like it's we talk, you can comment if we allow you to comment, and you have to take what we put out there. So New York Times is still just putting their articles on Twitter or whatever. And what Twitter fundamentally did was it even the playing field, which is if you had something to say and you had a creative way of saying it, you could kind of elbow your way into the conversation. And I'm basic living proof of that. I didn't come from J School. I didn't come from media outlets or whatever. I just started an account about 10 years ago. Here, here are all of you listening to me ramble on a Friday night. And that's how it happened and this happens for several people and that's what i fundamentally believe social media actually is is it's a playing field leveler which is right now i'm looking at 194 people who are sitting here listening and some of you are talking and as i've always stated with versus media is not about me bringing up a guest although i would i wanted to bring leon and we talk and you listen it's i want to i want to hear from you because that's what this app is for And if you look at Colin, there's everyone on here from me to Glenn Greenwald, to John Joy Gray, to a former Lincoln Project guy, and I don't care about any of them. I just, I kind of come on here and I do my show and you guys are here. And that's very much how I've treated Twitter is I don't really pay too much attention to what other, you know, people per se are tweeting. Obviously, if you look at what I do, it's media organizations, it's journalists, people who are putting information out into the world. And it's wondering, okay, why are you doing this? Today what happened with NBC and the Paul Pelosi video is a perfect example of this. And I can't help but wonder, if old Twitter was still in charge, how many accounts would be banned for simply questioning why NBC removed a video of Paul Pelosi today? And that's why those people, because simply just asking the questions of, hey, why why is NBC deleting this video? Hey, why did you report originally Paul Uh, The attacker was in his underwear and then you just retracted it with no explanation. Or why is Politico saying that three people in the house is a baseless conspiracy theory after Politico is the one that reported it? They don't want you being critical and asking these questions. And the reason we ask these questions is because they don't. And it's because they're driven large in part by a political agenda bias and it's only gotten worse. And so, after the election, they managed to convince Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg that your platforms are the problem. Your platforms are a threat to democracy. Your platforms are spreading racism. Your platform, and they, you know, they all just went, "Oh shit." Okay, well, because they need these media companies on their side, and that's large in part the shift that happened with Twitter, where certain suddenly it was corporate journalists who were in charge. And if you question them, you got replies turned off, you get auto blocked, or you, in some cases, you even get your account banned. And that morphed then into pandemic, which is if you questioned, hey, how come how come you're forcing us to wear masks now? When Anthony Fauci said three, you know, three months ago, we didn't have to wear masks and it's the same virus. Boom, your account got nuked. And now what we're learning or the Babylon Bee is another example. Babylon Bee, harmless satire site. And it made a joke and it said Rachel Levine is man of the year. And they got their account newt. And what why I pointed out Rachel Deitchman is an important point. It's because these are the people who you basically said, a boy cannot have babies. Your account was gone. And we're now learning who all of these people are that likely did that. And they basically weaponized Twitter against jokes, against certain points of view, uh, open debate. And then they suppressed accounts and elevated others. And all of that shenanigans is now over. And to me, if Twitter just goes back to kind of being what it was in the sense of 2013, 2014, not being driven by one main character, which was Donald Trump, I mean, now it kind of is with Elon Musk, he's Twitter's main character. And if it just goes back to being what it is, kind of an open sandbox, then that's inevitably a good thing. And the people who uh, basically just said, yes, Joe Biden, yes, Ron Klain, yes, CDC, we will, um, we will just do what you tell us to do, because we want to be working with you in coordination. If those people have been shown the door, then it's a good thing and good riddance to them. And like I said, I'm not an Elon Musk fanboy. I, I don't, you know, I, I get cringe when people tweeted him seriously, like, what the fuck you like, what do you think he's going to do here? You know, Um yeah. And it's it's that it's kind of that theory of don't ever turn somebody in politics or culture into your hero because they will eventually let you down. Uh, I have trepidation about Elon Musk's relationship with China. And is he going if he can't find funding for Twitter, is he going to basically go the TikTok route and bring in China money and Chinese state money to now help float Twitter? That's a big problem. And that's probably something that would get me to leave the platform. Um, And so. Uh, I have questions. I'm more of right now just saying, let's see where this is going. And right now, these layoffs that everyone is freaking out about, um, everyone that was laid off today, these, you know, these curation teams and these social justice teams. And uh, as I said, these algorithmic justice, that's a term that I heard today. That's great. um, And ethical algorithms. Well, whose ethics? Whose ethics are you implying into these algorithms? Because I go and look at your Twitter feed and I see you retweeting George Takai, and I'm like, okay, that explains it. And so all of those people being nowhere near the levers of power, and make no mistake, if they're working with the Department of Homeland Security, they are near the levers of power, um, is a larger threat to democracy than anything that's going to happen. I'll give you I'll give you the last word. I kind of monologued on you, Bruce, but go ahead. The-
1: sure. No, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I pay the money so I can listen to you talk uh, You know, several times a week. So no worries. <laughs> I will uh, take it. My, my last thought is I just hope that this is not 2012 where we all got super hopeful leading up to the election that, you know, state. I lived in Oregon at the time that you know, Oregon was going to flip and, and vote red. And, and all that. And it just turned out to just all be just, just garbage. And it, the only difference between 2008 and 2012 was Indiana and North Carolina and everything else was exactly the
0: same. Um, So I'm just hoping we don't, we don't have that situation here, you know, next week. Uh, I mean, you're I think you're referencing a presidential election and uh, midterms are a very different animal. They're very different voters show up, different voters sit out. They're different issues. This is why, to me, Joe Biden's Joe Biden's Social Security Hail Mary is not going to work because people aren't really caring about that right now. People are pissed but, off. And
1: people, and nobody's nobody's talking about Social Security. They keep saying, no. Republicans are going to do this. And it's like, what, what Republican? We don't even have a Todd Akin, some obscure, you know, representative from. From, you know, some flyover state saying something that like everybody's got. No, no, no Republicans are saying anything about Social Security. So that is just made up out of whole cloth. And, it, and it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Hail
0: Mary and they're, they're doing it because I think they know they're going to get the shit kicked out of them, which to me is why you're starting to see the ground where you're starting to see Biden say, if you elect Republicans, then one, it's the end of democracy, which nobody believes uh, two, the, the economy is going to crash next year if you elect them. Well, he knows the economy is going to crash next year anyway. Okay, we're already in a recession and we're about to get a double dip, and things are going to get pretty bad. And so he—that's him getting out in front of it to say, yep. "See, I told you." When nobody's going to believe that either. Uh, people are pissed about their kids having to wear masks. This is the first real vote since the kind of end of pandemic measures. Yep. And I don't think that they. I don't think our media and I don't think the Democratic Party have the slightest bit of info or clue about what is going to hit them on Tuesday. Um, I think, you know, like you said, it's not so much hope. Um, Senate races are going to be one to watch. But my attitude is even if they hold the Senate with, you know, one stroke victim, they're going to lose the House. And that's effectively the end of Joe Biden's presidency. Yep. Yep.
2: All right. That's that's kind of
0: all I'm, I'm pulling for there. All right. Have a good night. Thank Thanks, you. Bruce. It's good to hear from you. Uh, I'm scrolling back here a bit. I just see kind of some of my usuals. So um, go ahead. I'm going to bring up Al. And I know last night, when somebody drops, uh, their mic stays on. And that's just a glitch that I had to deal with last night. But uh, Al, go ahead. Hey,
3: um, so I talked to you a couple days ago. And um, we discussed the the Pelosi issue. And shortly after, you know, you kind of asked me, uh, "What do I think happened?" And I said, "It's it's weird, but I think probably you know, Occam's Razor. It is just crazy guy attacks the house, et cetera, et cetera." Um, shortly after we talked, the story came out about the uh, the Epstein guards on his security camera. Oh, nobody saw yeah. anything. So that was <laughs> like that was like strike four to eight maybe strike eight of like oh here's another bunch of weird shit that doesn't make any sense and it feels like that just keeps happening um i saw this morning that there was some sort of nbc story that have interacted. didn't really know what that was all about didn't look too deeply into it because i thought it was just kind of more of the same and then right before colin started i was listening to your patreon show and you went over in a little more detail what it was and I'm just I'm changing my answer now um I don't think okay so, so where think so, so, weird so where are you on. at now um most I mean I don't know if it was a sex thing or a it's, drugs thing it's a
0: free the good news about Colin is it's a free speech app so say whatever yeah. you want
3: I, I mean I, I think it's either a sex thing or a drugs thing I think somebody suggested last night that maybe this guy was a uh, drug delivery service although I feel like you're 80 something years old like and you're in a weed legal state, so what the hell are you doing that you need a
0: delivery for? Do you so? Do you want my just absolute tinfoil off the deep end theory? Go ahead.
3: <laughs> and I'm someone, chat, and so I'm come come someone on.
0: that they, and I'm someone that they will, they will definitely clip and say, "Holy shit, he's spreading conspiracy theories." Yeah, I'm not. I, I just want to be. I just want to be clear. Uh, I still think that mostly what has been told is kind of what went down, but. If you were to get me shit-faced at a bar and ask me my wildest "what if" theory, I would tell you I think it's a staged attack.
3: Yeah, I would leave that in the realm of possibility. For now, sure.
0: now I, I've said this to someone, and I, as I just said, based on, based, what's the craziest thing you can come up with? Based on everything we've been told or not been told, we're just relying on secondhand reports that keep getting retracted. Or changed, and now NBC is memory holding a whole story. And uh, there's been some just great jokes going around on Twitter over this stuff. Those of you who follow Jarvis Best has had he's had just a couple of great ones. And I mean, the NBC report states through sources that he opened the door and then backed into the foyer, walked back toward his attacker, yeah, and I guess stood there. And me. then the cops went, uh, "What's going on, guys? Is everything all right?" And DePap said, it's fine. And then whacked him with the fucking hammer. So he waited until the cops showed up to where it was on body cam or yeah. whatever. Like, I joked today. I'm like, this is turning into a fucking Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Like, this whole thing. Um, my, uh, my complete off-the-chart batshit theory is it's a staged attack because of the midterms. Because it happened, what, a week before the midterms. Uh, the Democrats went and ran with it right off the bat, like instantly. Uh, his QAnon websites were put up and taken down. They're gone. You can't even go and read his Pizzagate shit or whatever. Um, he is a hippie San Francisco transient nudist known to Scott Weiner, the state senator. That's weird to me. Um, like a guy breaks into Nancy Pelosi's house and beats the shit out of her husband with a hammer and a, and a California far left state senators like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, we don't know how he got to the house yet. Um, was he driven? Did he walk from Richmond, California? Cause that's a fucking hike. Um, people, you know, have said that this is a gated community. I don't know if it is, but how did he get through the gates and how did he get through the front? So look, I think for the most part, it was probably a targeted attack. What we're hearing, Uh, where, how come they didn't, I mean, there's there's just all these little things that just, I keep thinking like, how did they not have an alarm system? Yeah.
3: That's just impossible to
0: believe. (laughs) They have cameras. And of course the the Capitol police is like, Oh, I didn't see anything. Um, How, how, as soon as he smashes the back door, does an alarm not go off? How does the speaker of the house third in line of the presidency or second in line, I guess, not have a fucking alarm system on their house. So, you know, and then you read the affidavit report where, you know, he says he walks in the bedroom and he says, are you David? Or he said, where's Nancy? And then he's like, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, OK, sir. By all means, go to the bathroom. And then he makes the call. And DePap, according to the court documents, knew he was on the call. Like he talked to the dispatcher. So there's all these things where I'm like, OK, so he was in the house for 35, 40 minutes, didn't attack him. The doorbell rings. They go downstairs. Uh, according to the NBC now re- video that's just gone they just memory hold it and not a single journalist is like hey why'd you do that uh he opens a door and then he walks back he doesn't try to leave the door and go he's right there officers you know he walks back towards his attacker and the cops go what's going on here and only then after the cops are there to witness does he get hit over the head with a hammer um the one thing that can clear all of this up is body cam footage And it's it's irresponsible of the San Francisco Police Department to not release it. So if you want my Alex Jones off the deep end counter theory to what we're seeing, what we're being told, I think it was Nancy Pelosi saying, hey, I have an idea and I just need you to go along with it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we We won't uh, we won't we won't hit you too hard. We found a guy. We know a guy uh we, we he's pretty fucking crazy, but we think he can get him to play ball um and you owe and, me after and, the DUI. And he's homeless so he's gonna enjoy jail with three meals a day, and we're gonna put some money into some offshore account and we'll never yeah. see him so again, this is all just joking around it's being it's a joke media matters um yeah. <laughs> but you say you know it, there's it, my problem is it's not that I don't believe what happened in the house it's why why the Why the continuous shifting over? It's almost like they're afraid to tell you the truth because of what it could, you know, because people on the Internet might run with it. And I'm just sitting here like, yeah, every single thing that happens in the story, it doesn't answer more questions. It it asks. It makes you question more things. And it's largely, again, because of the behavior of the media. As I stated, it wasn't right wing conspiracy nuts who throughout that DePap was in his underwear. Um, that, was a, that was a Fox affiliate reporter. My theory on that is it was Paul Pelosi who was in his underwear because he was sleeping. Okay, maybe the old guy just sleeps in his shirt and his underwear. Tell us that then. Yeah. But okay, why tell, us, have, what, but why tell us why you hurt. had to retract this information yeah. and tell us and, de- and then go back to your source and go, I'm never fucking using you again. Um, and so again, there's so much of this where this is all based on transparency coming out of the San Francisco Police Department. And then you have Politico going, an unknown person answered the door. It's like, wh- that's not really clear. And as I said, if I'm a journalist, my, my immediate question to that guy is, when you say unknown, what does that mean? Was that a third person, an accomplice? So the cops can say, uh, no, there were only two people in the house. Okay, so you don't know of those two who opened the door. Correct. Thank you. Now I can report that. And then now you have again the cops weren't watching the fucking security cameras, and you just just go, "Oh God, we're getting epstein all over again here." Yeah, and it's that's str- why I, that's why I don't really care when shit posters on Twitter or Reddit just run with the funniest wildest jokes or theories. And a, this is a lot of this is what a lot of journalists don't understand about what Twitter and what social media is is most most for the most part people go to Twitter to just look at sports, look at memes and get their news. That's it and so journalists are there to post their very super serious work and how dare you laugh at me and that's all that really is so like the attackers in his underwear oh that's weird and journalists go you can't you' you're, you're spreading misinformation. it's just weird and so, Hi kids hi guys are you good a- hi. Uh, I'm sorry, got a got a three year old here. No, that's all right. No, that's all right. <laughs> he, he wanted uh,
3: he wanted another sippy cup, but we're good now.
0: Okay, do you want to ask his opinion on what possibly happened to Paul Pelosi? <laughs> uh,
3: I think he has about as much idea as right. Uh, as he He's at least as
0: coherent. You're right, exactly right. He's at least as coherent as NBC News been yeah. on it. But then now but you I, have I am, NBC, you have NBC dropping the video and not explaining why. Just it didn't meet our standards. Like what? Like okay, why didn't it meet your standards? What is false? What is And they just—they don't. They just memory hole it and expect you to forget, and that is going to lead to more questions and more theorizing. And it's not our fault.
3: That's the part that drives—that really makes me suspicious. Is you've got okay? Stories have facts that change after they come out. You get misinformation, like not the deliberate kind, but just people think they heard something and it was something else. Okay, the extreme media freakout over every little detail on this. Plus, like, NBC's reaction today where it can't just be correction of, oh, you know, such and such wasn't what we meant. But deleting everything and saying it oh, wasn't up to our standards, that is – hold, hold on a bit, buddy. Daddy, <laughs> oh, this is <one's laughs> a fatherhood. Um, that's all right. So the, but the third the, – just the final thing that I w- wanted to point out. So you've got the, the factual stuff that's all weird. You've got the media freak out that's very suspicious. Third thing is, when have you ever heard of a legitimate story that keeps having this many weird things constantly popping up? Yeah, and it just turns out to be oh no no, it's just nothing at all. Well, that yeah. doesn't exist. So what
0: yeah. is the thing is everything that comes out about this? There's more like weird shit, and that's the only way to put it. It's just weird shit happening around this. And it's just kind of like, uh, why is so much weird shit happening around this? <laughs> and so, I mean, people, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. And again, I, I have very little patience for media outlets that are like blaming right-wing conspiracies uh, when they're getting the information from you guys.
3: One caveat that always hits me on this is Gary Condit. Because that was one situation where it was like, oh, come on, he's got to be involved. And then it turned out that he wasn't. But, man, I mean, the evidence that was piling up against that guy. So I have a little bit of holdback on this. But other than that, it's like, what other story do you know where stuff just keeps being weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder and, weirder and there's nothing there? I
0: Yeah. I, yeah. We all just got uh, – you're probably going to have uh, DHS showing up at your door now, Al, and mine too, over this discussion. So – Get your, Hopefully, your papers are in order.
3: Yeah, we have. We're having a fun time. I'm. I'm a single dad tonight. My wife's right. been late, so. Uh, All right. Yeah. But um. Yeah. Keep uh. Keep up the good work, and by three days from now, another bunch of crazy shit's gonna come out. We can Probably. talk
0: about with this or or Wednesday when he checks himself into rehab is. The That's true. <laughs> so well,
3: Wednesday about. the news cycle will be uh, Joe Biden had a stroke last night and uh, yeah, President Harris is taking
0: over. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Or th- oh, thanks, Al. Um, nice. Go ahead and mute your microphone because I just killed you and it's a weird glitch on Colin. Sheila,
4: how's it going?
0: Go ahead. So
4: I just wanted to say hello to you and uh, let you know that I've been gloating all day about these tech workers, these Twitter ex aficionados, these ex petty tyrants who are now crying sorry. You into don't their footies. No, okay, cause... no, because they have not released a relevant like transparency report in the last three years. I would say since twenty
0: seventeen. Okay. And, uh, for the record, for the record, I don't feel sorry for people who I think actively censored me and actively censored an accurate mm, news story either. I think I think they're, I think they're getting exactly what they deserve for the mm-hmm. behavior over the past five years. Yep. All you, yeah. All you had to do was leave the platform alone. Okay, you didn't have to turn it into a tool for social justice and a tool for only corporate journalists. You just had to leave it alone. But they decided they weren't going to do that, and. They decided we have to become the social justice app of this generation because it's important for Black Lives Matter or some shit. And I'm fine with, like, organized campaigns. I'm, if Black Lives Matter wants to use Twitter to organize or whatever like that, as long as it's not for violent. <laughs> um, I'm fine with them using that. But what, what happened is you got D. Ray McKesson inside of Twitter and you got Anita Sarkeesian inside of Twitter and you got all of these activists who decided to start making policy And you had Jack Dorsey uh, essentially going along with them instead of having the balls to stand up and say, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to change things like this. Ah. Trans people's lives are in danger. And you just go, this is the thing. You heard this guy who was the curation police and he said it's going to make Twitter more dangerous. And whenever you hear that or when I hear the title trust and safety, I'm kind of like you have an app where people just like post GIFs of. You know the craziest shit, like what are you talking about? Trust and safety? Well, we can't have people dead naming It's like block them so yeah i that's kind of where I'm at, and the other thing is is you see how like just clench fisted journalists are over Twitter losing employees. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you have to know that this happens with any takeover in a company. Whenever you get a new owner in a company, they're going to come in and go, yeah, I don't like this, this or this. And therefore I don't need you anymore. It happens in any company. And yet you see like Ben Collins on the verge of tears today on MSNBC. And it's, it's, I know that he has to know how, you know, takeovers work and ownership works. Mm -hmm. Uh, It happens at any job. And yet here they are just, complete bereft of grief over Twitter. And it's like, guys, it's a, it's, it's a Silicon Valley tech app, okay? So there are other reasons why, you know, they're completely just inconsolable. And it's because uh, DHS just lost their favorite toy and Ben Collins just lost all of his contacts.
4: Oh, my God. So DHS really isn't supposed to be doing that. I, I think that that's something that that needs to be parochially said, is that DHS is not supposed to be controlling the rhetoric levers of what should and should not be said, nor the State Department, nor the CIA, nor the DNI, nor none of them. None of them are supposed to be controlling the levers of public information. Do you know that MIA, I saw her tweet for the last... Like I haven't seen a live tweet from MIA in probably 6 years. If it, it feels like that. I mean, I have not seen her in my feed for like years because she's a pro-gun Tamil human human rights refugee who came to the United States. Okay? She's she's inconvenient to be pro-defense of her second amendment rights, okay? She flashes guns in her videos. And and they've just shut her down they've just utterly silenced her to where she cannot be seen but you know she's also she's she had a few other inconvenient positions that were not deferential to two things like like her positions on like borders and so I think that she's pro-refugee but you can be pro-refugee and anti-border whatever you can have any position that you want that's not the point The point is that she is a free artist, and she's living in a Western country, and she should be able to say whatever the fuck she wants and not get blocked by Twitter, not get blocked by, like, cast people like Gata. And, you know, those people were erecting a system of governance over the entire AI architecture that didn't serve Americans whatsoever. And they were serving AIPAC. They were serving, you know, minders from a myriad of different governments, okay? I think that they were a rental hall of influence from a diversity of different governments around the world. If the Saudis didn't want a thing said, then they just paid them off, and it wasn't said, okay, in America, well, which is poisonous.
0: One of my favorite things is that Saudi Arabia, like, thanked Elon Musk on Twitter, say, so, you know, happy to have a partnership. And all the journals lost their minds. It's like, Khashoggi. What about Khashoggi or something? And then you learn that Saudi Arabia hasn't been investing in Twitter for eleven years, and it was like Chris Murphy wanted to. He wants congressional hearings over Saudi Arabia's influence on Twitter. And I'm, you know, I saw Zed Jelani and others ask him where were where was this eleven years ago mm-hmm. when Saudi Arabia got into Twitter? And again, it's so transparent. so buried, it's, so buried. It's it's transparent what they're doing and it's again they they the Democratic Party in particular has put such an emphasis on this stupid fucking app that they don't understand they don't I genuinely think the Democratic Party without celebrities or Twitter has no idea how to talk to Americans like if, if they don't if they don't have Hollywood talking for them and if they don't have the bird app like they're they all they all become John Fetterman essentially they have no idea how to even talk. And I mean, if I'm a democratic activist, you know, strategist, I'm saying, guys, this is the best fucking thing for your party. Get the fuck off the app and start talking to people. And you just saw it, It's, it's, it, it's like they fucking took away the democratic party's game boy from them. And they're just well, we're going to fucking throw hold hearings and it's just incredible to, to watch and they have such an overemphasis on this stuff. And again, this is administration where Ron Klain runs policy through whatever he sees on Twitter. And I mean, they're, they're out. about Go to ahead. get just completely wiped off the map. And now what are they going to do? They're going to turn around and blame Elon Musk and Twitter a week before the election. Yeah,
4: they can blame all day long, but they can't compel Elon Musk. To go along with a lurs enforcement order from DHS over speech.
0: That's what I mean. That's what I mean by that is I'm horseshit. Not, I'm not an Elon thumper or whatever, but I, I'm. It's probably fair to say. And the funniest thing about it is, they're right now soliciting him uh, to run NASA through SpaceX, and they're soliciting him to put Starlink in Iran. And it's like, hold on, you guys need rockets and you need electric vehicles and you need mm-hmm. all this shit but the Mm -hmm. second he touches your bird app, he's Hitler. Like this doesn't make sense to me. Like it's the, the thing they should be caring about the least is the thing that they're acting. They care about the most. And this is, I mean, kind of, you know, we can all get into the speculation. He's a CIA contractor anyway. Um, But it's, that's, what's so funny to me is they're flipping out over, you know, a guy who he, he gave Ukraine internet and he's trying to get, you know, smuggle Starlink into Iran. So uh, we can see more about the protesters in Iran. And of course, you know, he's the guy who's basically mainstream the electric vehicle. Nobody wanted to touch electric vehicles until Tesla. And this is the funniest thing about Ocasio Cortez throwing your hissy fit on Twitter. It's like, what kind of fucking car do you own? You own a Tesla. Like, what is this? And you're bitching over a blue check mark. And, you know, I was talking with someone and they were like, you know, AOC on Twitter bitching about her verification status is the funniest thing considering there's like 10 races that are up for grabs in New York city right now that she should be out campaigning for. And what is she doing? She's on Instagram eating, you know, Chick-fil-A and talking about how mad they made the billionaire. And I'm just like, it's, it's, I don't understand. I don't understand.
4: Priorities.
0: It's crazy. But again,
4: I want it's, that job for transparency I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm and AI kinda, though. I'm, I mean if I'm, if kinda, there's a vacancy there, I want that. I want that stuff so bad. I have I have really worked to to write into it. I have practiced into it. I have done all kinds of things into that space and I would I would really love to apply for that job and I really feel like I would be relevant in that position because I'm definitely pro journalism but it has nothing to do with journalism, but it does. The Transparency Report and the Transparency Team should be focused on producing um, the reports that that are for the law enforcement request for information. Okay, and they started releasing these as an accountability measure tool for trust. Um, so that, you know, and it was because of the reporting at the Intercept. Uh, because there was so much um, interplay between, you know, the DNI and PRISM and, you know, Snowden's living in Russia. We still haven't rectified any, any of that, okay? We have to still go back to Chalkboard 1, okay? Nobody has erased the policies. Nobody's done an etch-a-sketch on counterterrorism rhetoric controls, Okay? You know the Republicans are getting back into Congress now. Let's just presume that they do. Are they want, going to undo all of the totalitarian counterterrorism measures that they that they they enforced and then the progressives just embraced and loved and pretended to fight under under Obama? You know I think it's it's all window dressing unless the do matches the say, of course, and you know. For a few people like Bannon, who had to live without active civil liberties for a, for a few moments of his rich, rich life, um, you know he, people in the Republican Party can have a nice long think of what that's like. If the controls belong to somebody else in America and you are deprived of your liberties, why would you turn around and do that to someone else rather than return this to the foray of of liberties that you had before? Bush and 2001 okay are you gonna pledge allegiance to the country of George W Bush or are you gonna pre- pledge allegiance to the country of the United States of America and the US Constitution but which gives freedom and these liberties to everybody okay and you know then no more DHS no more shoes inspection no more genitals inspection at the freaking airport you know we can we can get on with our lives but there's too much electronic controls involved and the DOD has treated this counterterrorism stuff like a slush fun slash fun okay that's why they're 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 aiming their 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 monetary guns at, at, at Elon Musk and say we want to buy our way in come on let us buy our way in satlink ah, ah, ah. you know let's get into roku you know let's let's get into the Neuro- neuralink chip and and i'm i'm actually Sort of just a tad depressed, just 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 a mite, that Elon Musk owns Twitter, but it's just a recessive mite, because Neuralink is the brain chip that he's invented. He's going to demo it live on a human being at the end of the month. This is this is nowhere. It's like no one's talking about it. All right, it's a brain chip inside of a human that's that's con, configured for Bluetooth. Okay, it's wirelessly charged in someone's head. So and, you know really, people even, are
0: gonna I'm, say I'm not, I'm not even gonna have to log on to Twitter it's gonna be great like <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, we'll all just become Twitter that's the whole goal here
4: no no, no. and <laughs> I, I don't want that I want I want a, a world that's a little bit more of a debate space where I can get some freedom it's already too bad it's already bad
0: yeah Sheila, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on to uh, some people so I can get some more people in. Thank but, you, uh, thank I, you. I, I, knew, I knew I knew I knew you, I saw your name in the queue and I'm like, oh, Sheila's got thoughts.
4: Yep, yeah, I've got wine too. All right.
0: All right, well that's good. <laughs> it's a Friday night, so you better. So <laughs> take care, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs>
4: Trip.
1: Rob. I'll uh,
0: go. I'll go for, I'll go for uh, a little while longer here. Very quick, so
5: you can try and get more of the queue. Uh, just a quick thing: I saw Kurt Wagner today, who's a journalist at Bloomberg in the business section, said that Twitter's PR and comms team went from a, from somewhere between eighty and a hundred people day today down to two. Yeah. So just
2: that's
5: and crazy. They and, they the
0: rec- and they didn't. And
2: they. Sorry.
5: Uh, yeah, Colin just glitched up for me. Uh, oh, sorry. And- no, no, no fine. It, When you mute and unmute, I like get disconnected. I can't hear your audio, but uh, not the oh, point. That's good very, to know. Yeah, that's why I think there's some crosstalk, because I hit the mute button, and all of a sudden, like my phone goes on pure mute for 10 seconds. Anyway. Uh, that's good unreli- to know. I'll pass that along. Yeah. That's, uh, anyway, the other thing is just very quickly, a lot of people were clowning on Elon when he was having engineers print out the code they've done in the past two months for review yep. to see who stayed and who left. And it's said in here that, you know, Prague before he left said there's a 2,500 coders that do 100 lines per month. And number of lines of code isn't necessarily quality, but it, it's really indicative of how few like little actual developments being done on the platform, especially for the things that are for consumer in better like in behavior, like in improving the quality of the product. And I, my tinfoil hat crazy conspiracy theory like you had with Al before about uh, the whole Nancy thing being staged, allegedly, is uh, that there's a horrible symbi- uh, parasitic relationship between the old Twitter board and all of these inactive bot accounts because they made them look active again, like real users to boost user counts. And if they genuinely wanted to fix like these bot accounts, it, it would not take a lot of code. And yesterday, Jason Calacanis was asking for suggestions. I shot him a note Uh, in a reply saying making it two clicks to report a bot because it's a very easy thing to do and he tagged Yul Roth who's the uh, person who is like head of Twitter safety and integrity and said that they like to uh, extend the reporting process because it requires context to be able to understand if someone is a bot or not and the problem is it doesn't require context if you have some random account that's always tweeting the same crypto phrase over and over again like you're getting spammed with those bots or someone looks like someone else and they're just trying to like spam like to represent there's someone else to try and scam them out of money there is no context needed and if you actually had and i'm a data scientist by trade and i'm not an elite wizard that twitter could probably hire but it does not take you know a huge amount of effort and most of these engineers are working on things on the back end probably for censorship and algorithms and manipulating behavior instead of actually improving the quality of the platform so just my one high level thought is that uh I think thing, I'm pretty optimistic that over the next two to three months, if they got rid of most of the dead weight of engineers, the remaining ones are actually be able to like meaningfully make the product.
0: And I talked about this a little bit. That's not getting enough attention is the technology side of this. You have obviously journalists and you have culture reporters who are just reporting on the culture of Twitter, like uh, they let go of they let go of the uh, the climate team which is one I just saw here um, like why why does a technology company uh, for a streamlined application need to have a team that works on climate like I don't understand that um, and so nobody's talking about the technology side of this and it to me that's what it looks like you know like you said Calcanus and David Sachs who obviously funded funded Colin he's working with musk on Twitter now. Um, You know, these are tech guys like their goal is to kind of come in and say, okay, what's working? What's not? And I don't think people were fired for their politics. It's just like we don't need you for what we think this should be. And so they're coming in and and to me at least if they can streamline the app and make it more functional, like you said, get rid of inauthentic bot behavior. If you get rid of inauthentic bot behavior, you're going to get rid of a lot of disinformation because the inauthentic bot behavior is what governments like China and Russia use uh, to manipulate trends and content and con- So if you just get rid of that shit, you're going to go a long way into policing what you claim to be as disinformation. And again, because I think reporters and journalists who are these 22 year old Brooklyn Buzzfeed headers who just spent, you know, they built their career writing listicles. And now that they, now they're 27 at the Washington post and somehow think they're a fucking expert on how this shit works. No one's talking about the technical aspects of this. And that, to me, looks to looks to me what Musk is trying to do. He's saying, if we can streamline this app, update it, make it more functional and make it more usable, then we'll get investors and we'll get, you know, advertisers and hopefully we'll get more users. But like I said, I mean, Musk's biggest problem is he has to overcome what people think Twitter already is. And now he has a hostile media who is pushing for advertisers to leave his platform. And that, to me, that's again, that's a threat to speech, which is uh, they, they really genuinely think like it's going to turn into parlor or Gab, and you know one of the points that they made is you know within you know Elon Musk coming and owning suddenly Kanye West is tweeting the n word and the tweets were removed like it's no different nothing has changed in that matter, and so if they can come in and like you said they I think they just come in and they streamline the company and say we're going to turn this back into a tech company you know we're not you're not a social justice app. We're not going to be dealing with the Department of Homeland Security's nonsense. We're going to turn this into a social media app where people can have conversations. They can share news links. They can share their content. They can interact with people, um, which is what it's always should have been until all of a sudden you had a bunch of big brains at Twitter going, that speech is dangerous. You're dead naming. And that's what happened five, six years ago. and And it turned into, because those are all the people in journalism right now, then, you know, that's what it turned into. And it's like, you couldn't post, you know, if you go back to remember the Planned Parenthood selling fetal tissue, they were accounts that were banned on the behest of journalists for that. David DeLinen, uh was banned for that. And it's uh, like, it's things like that where, Hey, you're able to push back against it. Or if you don't want that content, you can go block it and you can just get on with your day. And that's kind of where I think they need to take the company. And it's like you said, is, um, nobody's talking about how three of kind of these genuinely smart engineering guys okay uh, are going to come in and they're going to say all right here's here are the problems and i think you're right like that was one of my favorite things he did right off the outset is he came in and he sat down and he said to people i need you to bring in your code and we're going to look at it and i think what they found out is a lot of engineers there weren't hired for their coding skills they were hired for their
5: yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally great. And the one other uh, nugget is they actually had 3,200 engineers. So 20% of the engineers wrote less than 100 lines of code a month. So just
0: nightmares yeah, everywhere. Insane.
5: Thanks, Steven. I'll uh, let you go through the queue. Thanks, Rob.
0: Um, I'm going to skip a couple. Jeffrey was on with us last night, which I appreciated. I'm going to bump a couple people up here just as we're getting shorter on time. Kenneth, welcome, uh, verse me. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm better when I can unmute my microphone. (laughs) That's hilarious. So I think the DHS
6: scandal is the biggest violation of the First Amendment since the Woodrow Wilson administration.
0: Yeah, I think there needs to be hearings on it. I think there needs to be congressional hearings and uh, to find out, you know, just how much power they were exerting over Twitter and Facebook and who at Facebook and Twitter were decided to go along with it. Um, I don't know if it's as big of going back to Woodrow, but I would agree that's this is the primary thing is they were censoring speech and they were censoring uh, what people were able to say on a platform and they were doing it not in the open of transparency. They were working with Twitter executives like Vijaya Gad, who, you know, like I said, they, they can't, they tried to ban a 56 follower, (laughs) Uh, parody account, uh, DM DM us your weed stores, and that was somehow a national security threat. Yeah, that that stuff's insane. So the whole Twitter
6: thing, ultimately these are businesses, and I've been through different buyouts and things like that, and you get rid of people, but look at Discovery with CNN. Like CNN started in 1980. It can be gone in two years if they don't right-size their stuff. Look at Discovery – turning off Batwoman and fixing Warner Brothers. Like, Twitter was a dying app. Losing users, being covered in bots. It was their little sandbox that got smaller and smaller that maybe all the eastern coastal elites and the media elites kept people out and tried to force their views onto everybody else. But really, I don't really use Twitter other than for entertainment. I'm on YouTube. I don't watch cable news. There's so much great content where they pay users. Think about Instagram too. They pay content creators. That's where they get money is advertising and stuff like that. And they pay the creators Instagram. They have like a crappy revenue stream.
0: They don't have a revenue stream. And that's, you know, I I don't know. Excuse me. I don't really know how charging people is going to work in the sense of how does that keep people on Twitter? And, you know, I, I do believe that there is validity to the theory that, you know, if you're, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. And so, I'm not fully against a subscription fee, but I'm going to need to see more than just a verified blue check. Um, If it gives you the ability to have longer content, if it gives. and, And again, I don't even know. Like they said, they're going to bring Vine back. I want Vine back because I want a competitor for TikTok. TikTok is a legitimate, an actual legitimate national security threat. We have the Department of Homeland Security over here, you know. Telling executives at TikTok, uh, telling executives at Twitter that, you know, this guy over here who's questioning the CDC policy on the origins of the coronavirus, we need we need him to not be tweeting so much and being quiet. Um, And then over here, you have like literally TikTok users sitting in the White House. Uh, And and it's kind of like the priorities here are completely kind of like what Sheila said. The priorities here are completely upside down and bass backwards. And so. Um, I I don't necessarily have a problem for with a subscription fee, but I need to see like more than just the ability for for me to edit tweets. I've never been for the edit button. I I think you can just delete it. If you have a typo, just delete the fucking tweet. Like it's not something that's a crime against humanity. Obviously, you know, like what NBC did today when they deleted a tweet with a video report and they won't explain why that to me deserves an explanation. Um, So. You're right. And this is how, how he generates a revenue stream is going to be really, really interesting. Um, but like I said, I think the best thing that can happen for Twitter is it just kind of goes it goes back to just being kind of MySpace, you know, like which to this day was still the best social media uh, we've ever had. And so and make
6: it fun because it was fun when people were tweeting, learn to code and when the change right. happened and people were testing it, there was a playfulness to the app.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, um, It's suddenly people there was a lot in the last two to three years, especially where people are so on edge about what you can and can't tweet and why accounts are getting banned. And then they would ban an account and then they would bring it back and say, oh, it was just a mistake. It's like, how do you fucking make that mistake? Um, You know, and so I I agree with you. And I I do agree that that seems to be kind of who Elon Musk is, obviously, with the Dogecoin shit. He seems to just kind of be. A guy Plainful. that just kind of wants to muck it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you think about him, you know, when he, when he just replies to Ocasio, who Ocasio-Cortez, thinks she's the main character on this platform, and he just goes, that's nice, thanks for your feedback, now pay me $8. He just, he, he has he has don't give a fuck money. And people are not going to stop buying Teslas right now, okay? When you have the entirety of the Biden administration demanding people go out and buy electric cars, you know, that's the one they're going to go out and buy, And so obviously his contracts with SpaceX and stuff. So it's not like he's going to go broke or anything on this. It just becomes, you know, what kind of investment do I want this to be? And the only thing that he's ever said about, you know, free speech is just uh, he's a free speech guy. And that somehow is too much for the people who, you know what, when you come out and you say, I I don't think men can have babies. That became a bridge too far. And that to me is where... it, absolutely Twitter was not going to survive on its current trajectory. It was just going to become kind of, again, a tool for corporate journalists and NBC and corporations and CNN. And uh, we know that those people are now working on behalf of DHS to shut people up. And so uh, it's, I, 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 I think it's a little bit hype, hyperbole, but I I really think that Elon Musk, even if he just comes in and he buys it and he just cleaned it out and said, that's all I'm going to do. Have fun. Um, it, it's it's infinitely better because Elon Musk, to me, is probably a guy who, when the DHS comes to him and says, hey, you've got a guy, you know, trafficking in vaccine trutherism. Musk is going to be a guy that says, what makes you say that? And um, that's kind of, I, it's people I've been talking about pre-2015, they definitely feel like something's changed. Like, it's like it's just open again. Like, you're not wondering if you're going to wake up in your
6: Yeah, thinking about, Something's changed. I'm really like, what's going on when Margaret Brennan's voice cracks on the Sunday show saying you're still running ads or Chris Hayes has a nervous breakdown saying it's the end of democracy. Like, are these people embarrassed? Like other bosses telling them you're being very cringe and immature, like this weird emotionalism in the media. I
0: don't people, understand. Those it. people are in their positions because their bosses want them there. I mean, this week. For someone like me, I I made a joke to Ben Dominic that that we're living in the beast of times. I mean, you have Netanyahu coming back in Israel. Tiffany Cross from MSNBC is gone. CNN is going to lay off hundreds of people. They've frozen travel for uh, anchors and pundits, which means no more border trips for Jim Acosta. Uh, Gannett went on strike today. 200 journalists went on strike because they don't feel they're, they're worthy or paid enough and I'm sitting here and I'm just like, I'm absolutely in disbelief. And, and then, of course, they, you know, Elon Musk cleaned out Twitter. And I'm just sitting here in disbelief going, how, how is this all fucking happening? Like, how is this happening when Democrats have complete control of the federal government? Um, corporate media has complete control almost of social media. I guess you have Zuckerberg over here creating whatever the fuck he's creating, We World or something. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting here with news after news coming out of just corporate media companies are just failing. They're, it's just, they're failing all over the place. And it real, this idea of democracy is on the line in six days. Nobody believes that when, you know, like Chris Hayes is saying, you have you have to vote Democrats to keep the ability to keep voting out Democrats. Like what? What are you even talking about? Um, but this has been a week. It's, it's not just with Twitter. Like I said, you have CNN is going to be laying off tons of people. Jake Tapper losing his PM show. Um, again, Gannett, 200, 200 people, and now you have layoffs happening, and it's BuzzFeed is buying out people, and um, you're seeing the kind of complete collapse of corporate media again, and they lost their favorite tool today. They lost the tool that they think drives the heartbeat of news, and that's really Twitter's, Twitter's real power is in that it's a real-time, wait, people waiting for something to happen app. So. People will go on and they'll be scrolling or whatever. And it's a live news app, which is that's it's, it's kind of crack for the brain that way, which is you're just constantly feeding yourself new information. Oh, that's new. That's new. That's a new story. There's something new. Oh, that guy's just said that. That's new. ha, oh, there's a joke, uh, that, you know, whatever. Um, but the problem is, is network media newspapers cannot compete with. Twitter because, it's again, it's live as it happens at, at places anywhere in the world, and you don't have to rely on them to get the information, and that's ultimately the biggest problem of why they want to see Twitter destroyed is it's, this, it's ultimately their competition. And so... Um, all the rest of that kind of is just a side thing. You know, we get, you know, real time news. And like I said, I call it the waiting to happen app. It's like people are just waiting for like a terrorist attack to come, you know. Um, You know, one of my, one of the most interesting experiences I ever had on Twitter was the Boston Marathon bombing, where that happened at like what, two two in the afternoon or noon. And it went through the night. And I remember I was basically up all night listening to the scanner because they found uh, the second suspect. And then that was a situation where, we found the suspects and now it's like, oh shit, there's a police chase and everyone was participating on it through Twitter. Like that's where everyone was getting their live updates. That's where journalists were posting live updates. And then, uh, idiot Johar runs over his dumb fuck brother and kills him. And that was, then that was a peg in that story. And everyone was like, holy shit. And then it was, he drove off and then it was, oh, we think we found him in a boat. And then there was footage of the drone overhead. And that to me was like the last real event where everyone was just fucking focused on that one thing and that to me is where Twitter's power is and, and the rest of it you know shit posting whatever is kind of a to me a benefit um but again a lot of what you saw happen with Musk is people losing their ability to control the platform and that's all it really is whether it's people who were escorted out of the building whether it was journalists. Or now DHS sitting here going, well, I guess I guess disinformation is going to run rampant on Twitter. And you know what my attitude is? So fucking what? So what? It's You shouldn't. You, you know, I'm someone that I have to watch what I like post and be accurate. But I post jokes. I post trolls. So what? Well, it's the end of our democracy. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's because you people fucking think Hillary Clinton lost because of social media. And you're too bereft to admit that she fucking lost because she's Hillary Clinton. Well, they're the same people
6: who tried to cancel Joe Rogan because he, we think we listen to him for medical advice.
1: <laughs> yeah,
6: like yeah. what do you? Or, what do you guys find to Spotify. control?
0: And then it's over with. Like, it, like remember that? Like everyone's going to pull their their music off Spotify if you don't cancel him, and Spotify's like, all right, see you later. And then they came back. Yeah, it's, you're exactly that's a, that's a perfect point. Like Joe Rogan isn't interviewing people the right way, and it's like, folks, that's that's the whole point. Though Rogan's kind of a guy where he just he just says what's on his mind and he listens to his guests and he's like, Hey, I'll talk to anybody. you like, whatever, come on my show. As long as it's interesting. And then you have journalists like he's spreading, di- he's spreading disinformation and horse paste. And it's like, uh, I didn't hear of any stories of people having horse paste. So, you know, like I think that his audience is maybe a little bit more better informed than they are listening to. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Stephen. Have a great night. Thanks, Kenneth. Um, I'm going to try to go about 10 more minutes here. Um, one more. I want to move Andrea up. Subber. Sorry to keep it waiting, but, um,
2: no, you're fine. You're fine.
0: Three more. Uh, I'm pretty much just going to go for 10 more minutes. So I'm going to try to get you guys in, but it may not happen.
2: Okay. I'll be quick. I have like two or three points. So my first point is, yeah, when they um, I saw some tweets listing the departments or teams, quote unquote, that they let go today. And there was a human rights team. I don't understand why a tech company has a team, I'm guessing, five or six on permanent staff, probably at six figure salaries each.
0: I don't get that. Um, I can understand (laughs) a human rights when it comes to. When when human rights groups are using Twitter, like what we're seeing out of Iran. Yeah, but wouldn't that you know, just be
2: like one person in the legal office who can no, handle I mean, that?
0: You, you, you would, it depends on if you want to amplify the Iranian protests or if you want to amplify videos coming out of Ukraine. Or, you know, my problem is, it's not that they had a human rights team. It's that they were implementing the UN guidebook on human rights. Yeah. And, and China. It, yeah. Yeah, the UN currently has Saudi Arabia and China sitting on its human rights council. So it's not, again, it's not so much that they had it, it's who they were letting implement it and how they were going about it. They were trying to weigh in on policy. And somebody else made this point is that once Twitter became a policy app, they, they ended up taking one side. And the second that you do that, you're going to have resistance from people on the other side, people like me, where I'm just kind of like, hey, why did you block that Hunter Biden story? It's not because I think it's going to tilt the election, okay? The blocking of the Hunter Biden story, to me, was probably the most consequential event of that year, as far as media is concerned, because it showed how far they were willing to go. And if they're willing to go there, what stops Twitter from, say, Let's say twenty twenty. Let's say the twenty twenty four presidential election comes around, right? And let's say leave Trump out of it. Let's say Trump is already banned, and let's say the candidates are Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Glenn Youngkin, and Kerry Lake. And what happens when Twitter? Let's say if it's not Elon Musk, Twitter, and all of these candidates have uh, Twitter accounts and they're all posting video clips, and Twitter says. Well, I'm sorry, no. Desantis is anti-gay. Carrie Lake is an election yeah. denier. Glenn Youngkin uh, hates trans kids. We're banning you all completely from the platform, and we're gonna and uh, I don't know. We'll leave Tim Scott up. That's the yeah, point. because it's gonna wait, yeah, it's gonna encourage
2: what, violence or political violence or something. Leaving Desantis's right. account up,
0: right? That is why what they did with Hunter Biden with the Hunter Biden New York Post story while they froze that story is so important. It's not because of that story because I don't think that that New York Post story really changes and they the, thought the election it was
2: important enough to sway right. the election. That's why they no, took the absolutely, steps they you're took,
0: absolutely right. they looked at an October surprise and this is an important question and, and why why is it in October the Daily Beast is allowed to post the Herschel Walker abortion story? I'm it, not saying yeah. it's not true, but that's the point. They decided we're going to pick and choose which stories we're going to allow to spread. Based on we don't know. Like I, my theory is, is that journalists saw the story. Journalists like Oliver Darcy, Media Matters in particular, mm-hmm. they, and they got got on the horn to Vijaya Gad and said, "You need to stop the story. This looks like this looks like a Russian information campaign." And Vijaya Gad went, "No problem, sir," and blocked the story. And then they came out, and Andy Stone from Facebook, who used to be a Barbara Boxer comms director, said, "We're going to limit the visibility of this story. We're going to stop. We're going to stop the spread of this story," when social media is its users it's it's user base of social mm-hmm. media which means it's it's content that users are providing right there you said we're taking that power out of your hands and it's not it's not <laughs> that it was a story about hunter biden it's not that it's where they're going to take that power now and it's they're going to basically just say sorry ron desantis you're anti-trans you're off the app sorry, yeah i remember that Twitter you're off the app and now you have five democratic candidates running in a primary and they're all allowed on the app. And that is right with the algorithm that boosts their
2: tweets. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get, um, do you remember that Twitter thread you had with Ben Smith about, um, October surprise, that policy of not, um, pushing October. Yeah. I wish you would have like, quote tweeted him about the Herschel Walker thing and been like, Ben, do you have anything to say about this? Is this a yeah.
0: October- talk? We, we don't, we don't run with stories that are questionable or whatever like that or anonymous. Sources. Right. We've We're just never done cool. that. And so, as, cool. like I said, it's not, it's not that I'm saying not to, not to spread the story. I'm not telling the daily beast that it should not be told out of politics, whatever, but we know that's why they blocked on her Biden story. But the Herschel Walker abortion story dropped and dropped in October, dropped three weeks before the election and you didn't see a single one of these people just philosophically going, how come Twitter is allowing the story to spread? Why, why not block it for a day until Twitter can confirm the details of the story? Because of the people that were just escorted out of the building today and their politics. And that's it. And those people right. should not belong anywhere near a social media app. That should be for sharing of opinions. And those opinions can be on how shitty the Philadelphia Eagles are, despite their record. The, it can be <laughs> on politics. It can be on yeah. film. It can be on anything. I had a friend join Twitter two years ago, and he got off of it. He was going to try to promote his music. And he got off of it and was like, that fucking, app, that fucking website is a political mosh pit. It's like it, it pulls you into politics no matter what. Yeah, said, it gets me anxious that,
2: just scrolling it for five minutes. I get sucked in. I'm like, I've got to put it away.
0: Yeah, I mean, Twitter to me is whatever you want it to be. If if you want yeah. it to be, you can, you can shut out the noise. I, I don't think I could tell you a single tweet from Kanye West ever because I've never followed him. And I think Kanye West has always been full of shit. Yeah, um, I don't see can,
2: his either. Um, It'll be interesting if the new um, GOP-controlled house ever does hearings on what happened with the Hunter Biden will. and subpoenas think, Slack channel um, transcripts or anything like that, because I'd be very curious to see how that, like what was ground zero for that? Who popped it off? Who was the first person that was like, okay, something needs to be done? I, well, Who was patient zero for that?
0: If you read the Intercept report, it's basically, you know, um, I mean, let's see if I still have this tab. I have, like, 50 I mean, you think
2: Oliver, like, yeah, but who was the first person in the morning who got on the horn? Like, you said, what's that? You think it was Oliver Darcy? Like, who was that first person? I think
0: it was, I think it was probably Media Matters. Okay. Because Media Matters has such an out, outsized influence on media. Like, Those Oliver people, Darcy yeah. and Brian Stelter are just mainstream Media Matters guys. Here's part yeah. of the intercept story um, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Uh, let me see here. This is this is a couple things. Um, shit. Let me let me find this. I'm gonna just read a couple paragraphs from Intercept stories. Documents filed in federal court as part of a lawsuit by attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana add a layer of new detail to Zuckerberg's anecdote, revealing that officials leading the push to expand the government's reach into disinformation. Also played a quiet role in shaping the decisions of social media giants around the New York Post story, according to records filed in federal court. Two previously unnamed FBI agents, Elvis Chan and an FBI special agent in, in the San Francisco field office, uh, and Demlo, the section chief of the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force, were involved in high-level communications that allegedly quote led to Facebook's suppression of the New York Post reporting the Hunter Biden laptop story. Oh was wow! One of the okay, most that's a profile example of law enforcement agencies pressuring technology firms, in many cases the Facebook and Twitter accounts flagged by DHS or its partners as dangerous forms of disinformation or potential foreign influence were clearly parody accounts or virtually accounts with no followers or influence. So we know that when that happened, you had... You they know, got the
2: FBI involved?
0: That's Damn. what it says. That's what a lawsuit says. But I guarantee you also you had journalists saying you need to stop that story from yeah. spreading. And but I'd again, really, I'd re- this, i I hope is they that has those transcripts. To be, it has to be investigated, and again, the, the biggest thing I want Elon Musk to do is just throw all of that out there, throw the Slack channel conversations, throw the documents, throw the yes. emails, because you need. accountability. would burn them
2: for- if he just threw that shit up on Twitter and just like yeah, scratched me- off the names.
0: You need (laughs) accounting for how that happened because you need names. You need who would Twitter decide to do it? We know that Vijay Gad was most likely the point person. She's gone. That's great, but I guarantee Vijay Gad is prime time for an MSNBC job, probably, because she's. Oh, yeah. And like I said, a lot of these journalists are upset that they lost their sources, they lost their contacts, and they lost their friends inside of Twitter. And again, you cannot underestimate. That effect and why, again, you see a lot of these journalists suddenly feeling completely helpless. Yeah, that was my
2: he- second point. Okay, so we are six or five days out from an election where the president of the United States had to give a primetime address about the dangers to democracy, and yet Reuters has a live cam outside of the offices of Twitter. Ben, NBC's getting Ben Collins on for like a blow by blow of what's happening at Twitter. I like you. Y'all story isn't adding up. Are you th- are you scared of losing democracy? Then why are you sweating what's going on at
0: Twitter? You're also forgetting the New York Times. Like they ran a front page of tweets. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, like last Sunday, I think it was. And again, this is this is. I mean, a fucking live cam at Reuters. To, the news industry has to break their dependency on it, and I don't know if they are basically able to do that. And that's again why you're seeing you're seeing why this is. How an app how a, how a how a social media app that you know six percent of the country is on and only three percent right. of the people on it use it, and they think that it's going to shift the balance of elections. And again, I
2: think the older journo's, like maybe the Mag- Maggie Haberman age type ones, maybe even her, I think they will be able to shift back into how Twitter was like pre twenty fifteen. But these younger ones that kind of came of age on Twitter in the Trump era it's it's going to be an unknown it's like a whole new world to them they don't know how to revert back to just a professional stance on twitter they don't know how to do it
0: yeah and i i don't think that they can do it and i think that they're basically their attitude is fuck you we're going to be biased and what are you going to do about it i'm going to turn off replies and i'm going to block you and the right. problem with that the problem with that attitude is that works if you're a newspaper it do, it doesn't work when you you know, a guy like me has double the size of a Twitter following than most journalists, and I'm fully willing to use it against them. And so, again, that that was Jack Dorsey's to kind of wrap up tonight. That was Jack Dorsey's fatal mistake, which kind of set all of the events in motion of where we are now, which is Jack Dorsey basically. Uh, When journalists came to him and said, you know, you're you're the reason Trump is president. You left his account on and you let him tweet. Yeah. And I think that's just because he's a pushover.
2: uh, He doesn't have a backbone.
0: It wasn't the five billion dollars we gave Trump. It was you. And it was you letting him tweet and was letting people going. Yeah, it's fucking great. This is amazing. Yeehaw. And Jack caved and he caved to the activist groups who basically blamed him as opposed to all their petty
2: little demands of him. Yeah.
0: And so that set in motion to what Twitter became, which was essentially uh, an activist tool for the political left, um, where you were banning satire accounts for making jokes about Adam Levine being a man. It was clearly humor. And they did it under the guise of this is This is going to be unsafe for people. And I I haven't seen and I'm sure I'm I'm sure it probably exists. But I have not heard of a single attack on a trans individual over somebody over a joke somebody made on Twitter or Dave Chappelle. As I said, the only person who suffered violence over the jokes uh, of trans jokes was Dave Chappelle when a guy tried to kill him on stage.
2: Right. It's because of uh, Twitter and the employees in there. They forgot what their business model was, which was just a social media site. Those activist types, they start believing We're here to change the world. And then every little thing they do, whether it's writing code or whatever, it's all we're changing the world. That's why all the people getting laid off have these 10 tweet threads about the team and the work we were doing.
3: Yeah. Okay, y'all were not
2: curing cancer. You weren't curing cancer. So just shake it off. Go get another job, you know, whatever. But okay, so the last point I wanted to make real quick was. Do you not think it's just fascinating that all the freak out the libs and the left and the Democrats were doing during Trump's time about all the rights that were being taken away? Nothing really ever major got done with Trump that would totally really hurt them, but it's only been two years. They are in total control of the federal government. They lost Roe. They've lost Twitter. It's just one heartache after another for them, and they're in control. It's just. I think it's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this year alone. I mean, they they lose. I mean, they have they have Biden's president, and they're about uh, to
2: lose he, this midterm. He like, Ro, he
0: lost Roe v. Wade. He's going to lose the midterms, which is going to effectively have they
2: had presidents. any wins? <laughs> any wins? None. I mean, they
0: they got. I mean, if you want, I mean, they got they got the uh, the the mansion bill passed. Um, yeah, which, but that's I mean, not a, that's not, not even really like what they want. It's a bunch of them. tax
2: credits. It's not really what they yeah, want. Yeah, but I be.
0: mean, I'm saying like that's something that's going to have consequences down the road in the country. And for them, it's good for us. It sucks. Um, yeah, and you know, but no, it it's, it really is an interesting paradox that they, they have yeah, everything that they the want. They, they control, they control academia, but enrollment is down because parents have finally, and they're about to lose affirmative on. action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. And so I mean
2: their fears for those 4 years that Trump was in office and nothing really bad happened.
0: But then, all the yeah.
2: worst fears. It's just one right after the other. It's delicious.
0: Yeah, and, I would I would agree with that observation. It's a good
2: one. Yeah. Okay, sorry, one last thing. Speaking but, of the whole climate change thing, Biden's yep. little flub today where he was like, "Oh, we're going to shut the coal plants." Do you think that was a gaffe of his or do you think that was like prepared remarks? I think it was a gaffe.
0: Um Fun days
2: know. out.
0: I mean, my, if I, I I don't know who's working inside the GOP, but the second he says that, I'm oh, cutting it the in the I'm cutting it in an ad, and I'm making sure it's blasted all over fucking Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. That's, yeah, exactly. That's, that's why I think it was especially a gas. With four days with four days to an election, so I don't know if they're that smart, but that's what if I saw that I'm like, this better already be airings all over you know the, the the Pennsylvania suburbs. So yeah,
2: it's just it. I mean, it's not. It's not something you say when swing states are on a knife's edge and you know that high gas prices and high heating bills for the winter are gonna be like one of the major issues. It's just not something I don't think they're that daft to put those in prepared remarks, but who knows?
0: They might. It sells on Twitter. Andrea. Yeah, okay, that's all I wanted to say. So thanks, Andrea. Good night uh apologies to you guys back there uh zach and jeffrey uh hold on to your thoughts we're gonna obviously do this again probably tuesday um so sorry we're just obviously getting along in the tooth since i know that this is a kind of a topic with lots of lots of layers and stuff to it but um uh again hold on to your thoughts if you have them write them down or whatever and uh we'll just whatever you guys want to do next week um this has been episode 58 uncaged um I, as I said I won't be on Patreon tomorrow I have a personal thing coming up uh but hopefully this kind of made up for it so again thanks everyone for listening thanks again to my callers um it's going to be real interesting we're going kind of like a roller coaster into our grave speed uh for the midterms on Tuesday so <gasps> uh, yeah that's here. um so probably I may look at jumping on Tuesday night for rapid reaction Rapid reaction for the midterms. So uh, we'll look at possibly doing that. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Thanks to callers. Thanks to audience. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller. You can obviously get me at Red Seas on Twitter, or feel free to leave comments over on Patreon over there as well. Tuesday.